I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the power of audio, science, and AI. My guest today is Chantal F., an award-winning entrepreneur, world champion, cheerleader, pioneer of parachair, and last but not least, the founder and the CEO of Click and Clear, the music rights tech and licensing company in the performance sports and fitness space. Chantal is one of those few people who always knew what they wanted to do from a young age, and that was to work in the music industry. And by 2014, she received a first-class honors in Bachelor of Arts Commercial Music from the University of Westminster. She set up her first company, Synergy Sounds, a music production company making music mixes for cheerleading and dance whilst at university. And directly after uni, she started working for QSongs, the world's first commercial music licensing company offering pre-cleared music in online video production, followed by Enhanced Music, a UK-based electronic dance music record label. Today, eight years later, Chantal is an advocate for female entrepreneurship, disability inclusion, and women in tech. She's spoken at numerous events on mentioned topics in many countries, including China, Japan, the US, Germany, and of course, Sweden, my hometown, and many more. Chantal has won multiple entrepreneurship and tech startup awards from Women in the Future, Nylon, and Midem. She has been featured in the Kindness and Leadership 50 Leading Lights UK list in 2020, and you can also find her on the list of 50 trailblazing UK women transforming the tech industry in 2021. Chantal is committed to solving the global music licensing problem in performance sports worth $2.4 billion annually. In this episode, Chantal and I will discuss the ins and outs of enforcing licensing and the power of music in the performance sports and fitness space, making sure artists get fairly paid for their amazing work of art. With that, Chantal, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. What an introduction. Thank you very much. It's great to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. How are you feeling today? And please express your emotion with a piece of sound or music. Yeah, I am, I'm feeling good. Uh, I now live in the beautiful countryside and absolutely love it here. Um, the piece I'm going to play today is actually maybe a little less, a bit more sad. Uh, it's not quite the most energetic and happy song in the world. Um, but it kind of expresses support and that's something I've really needed throughout my company is having the right support network in place and the right people working with me. Um, and, uh, so the song I'm going to sing today is called Footprints in the Sand. Uh, it's actually, weirdly, um, it's from a Leona Lewis book, a piano sheet music book, um, which I started playing when I was about 15 because uh, it, I was using my music, piano and singing as a way to get my emotions out through my parents' divorce. So these songs in this book have really strong meanings for me, really strong um, memories and connections.
you gave me goosebumps and well, thank yeah, you this is again shows the power of how music can be used for emotional purposes and i don't sing or i don't play any instruments which i wish i did because then you can also express it that way but then you knew from a very young age that you were interested in music. And as, you, as we could hear, you play the piano, you sing, also the violin. So what is your earliest memory of music? And when did you know that you had this talent? Music was something I always loved. And I was fortunate as a child to be given the opportunities to learn. My mom really loved music and loved piano. And so she had me doing piano lessons when I was four and when I was, um, and also violin lessons at school, kind of in the very early days of my life. So I'm not, I remember going to piano lessons and, and doing that from a young age, but I also have this photo when I was probably four or five of me playing my violin in front of the school assembly. And I, I remember having a conversation with my mum about this a few years ago to kind of explain what, what was this all about. And she said that I uh, played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on the violin. It was probably one of the first songs I'd learnt. Uh, and I was so excited about what I'd learned that I had asked if I could perform in the assembly at school. And they thought, oh, that's a brilliant idea. We should absolutely get all of our students to, to do something in assembly. And it actually ended up becoming a weekly tradition. They, from that point on, they uh, had performances in their assemblies to celebrate uh, the, the kind of students in the school. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of a, a fun, fun memory and the early days of me forging my own path. So, so what would you say then that, um, being surrounded the music growing up, what did music mean, you know, for you back then? And what does it mean to you still today? I think it's really a way for me to express my emotions. And it, I kind of mentioned earlier, it, it really helped me through my parents' divorce. And I think that's where I had a really strong affinity to music. And that's where it kind of cemented. So from the sort of ages of 14, 15, I took my piano playing to a whole nother level at that point because it was all I would do for hours on end as an escape from what was going on at home. Um, so yeah, music is is something I, I hold very dear and I've always loved as many people do. And, and for me, it, it is really a way to express my emotions and, and get it out. And it feels so good. When I woke up this morning and had a little practice, like it was just... It elated me. I, I felt so much happier for having played and sung and, and got those emotions out. So would you then say that the emotion that you're describing, that that becomes your inner motivation and drive and the curiosity that you had, that you knew that you wanted to work in the music industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess I had so many great experiences with music and that strong connection that I knew I wanted to, to be in music Originally, of course, as a young young female growing up, you always want to be the next pop star. So I can't can't deny that that didn't cross my mind at some point. And I did watch X Factor in the early days, hence the Leona Lewis <laughs> book back there. Um, but I, I I just I 
had that strong affinity with music I knew I wanted to be in it I just didn't know anything about the music industry and of course at school growing up you learn about classical music and whilst I loved classical music I you know was trained in kind of classical singing as well and did lots of opera style pieces and I just as I got older and older I was like I want to do pop music I want to do what's relevant now I want to learn what the music industry is and that's where I then went into um, University of Westminster and that helped me define my path but I'm also curious to know because you are also a world champion cheerleader how do one become that and I mean I didn't know that in the UK they had cheerleading the same way as they have in the US Yes, actually cheerleading is one of the fastest growing sports probably around the world. We have crashed the Olympic channel a number of times. Um, but I found cheerleading at when I went to university. So Westminster, they had a cheerleading team there and it was at Freshers' Fair. Someone came up to me and was like, do you want to be a cheerleader? And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. Um, so I joined the team, fell in love with the sport, became captain of the squad for the following two years. And then I joined a team outside, like after university, what you call like an all-star team or like a club team. Um, continued to love it. Unfortunately, had some injuries. Then also came across Paracheer, which is disability inclusive cheerleading. And it integrates both disabled and non-disabled athletes working together in a team. And I thought that was brilliant. Like what a way to help people who thought they could never do the sport to do the sport. So I ended up joining that team towards the end of 2017. They had someone drop out and needed help. And my coach at the time was also coaching that uh, Team England Paragir and asked me to, to join and go to the World Championships. So I think I had six training sessions with them before the World Championships. There was a lot to take on, a lot to learn at that point in time. And we went and we won gold. And uh, I then met the founder of Paracheer, who was also on the team. And after that, we kind of took it together, uh, took it around the world and, and helped grow it in multiple countries. So in some ways, I would say pioneering that division and, and spreading that around the world has been a greater achievement than becoming a world champion. Very impressive. Well, we'll get into that more later as it will merge with, with the whole music industry. So let's dig into your career path. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've accomplished significantly during your eight years in the music tech industry. Let's start with why you chose to study precisely commercial music. So I touched on earlier how I had always studied classical music and I was a bit bored of it um, and wanted to do something popular, modern industry. And I had a look at university degrees and I, because I knew I wanted to go to university if I could and found that there were a few different courses called commercial music at a couple of different universities and University of Westminster stood out to be the absolute best for me. Um, it was still in London and I wasn't too fussed about where I was located, but the great thing about it was it integrated music performance, music business and music production. And production was something I'd never done before and was keen on learning. And the business side of music was, again, something I was super interested in. I did do business studies at A-level. My dad was in business. And so, I, and my mom owns her own um, dental practice and started that when she was 15, when I was 15. So I knew I wanted to learn more about business because one day maybe I would start my own. And it was a 
absolutely brilliant course, great recording studios, great lecturers who are also in the industry. And as I've um, left the university, I've also met many other people in the industry who went there. So it's it was a really great experience. You did end up setting up your own company, even you know while you were at the university, because you set up your first company, Synergy Sounds. And then directly after that, you start working for QSONs. So tell us about your roles and the skills you learned that made you grow into a strong female leader. Yeah, so Synergy Sounds, I started at university really because the cheerleading team I was on and captain of needed music. And my coach was like, well, you are studying music and audio production. So why don't you learn what to do? So I thought, okay, great, I'll do that. And it was part of my personal project. Um, towards the end of well actually sort of mid second year through to the final year and I also learned about the history of cheerleading in that process so I basically did a degree on cheerleading and music in some ways and I formed uh, Synergy Sounds whilst at university to kind of work with with other teams and help them create their music mixes um, and that taught me about business. It was really a, a kind of small trial company for me to see how you would do certain things from marketing to uh, kind of closing business and reaching out to people and, and getting the work done, customer service. And it taught me a lot of valuable skills. Um, my biggest learning in terms of business was actually probably working for my mum's dental practice for eight years. I was actually her bookkeeper. Um, and also a receptionist, so learned excellent customer service skills there, especially with her being Canadian and, and uh, Canadians very much value customer service. Um, but that taught me a lot about how to financially, you know, how to be good with finances and to make sure you're running a company appropriately. And then I, I went and started at Q Songs just after my degree at uh, Westminster, and I was running Synergy Sounds on the side. And Q Songs was a startup. So I got to learn about startup culture and they were also a music tech company. They were building their own software. And so I got exposed for the first time to developers and how to build things, coming up with ideas, creating solutions, identifying the bugs in the system and fixing them. And, and that was really my first experience working in, uh, in tech. And it was a really great experience and I, I absolutely loved it. All those skills and learnings became the foundation of what you are doing today. And I read online that there's an inspiring story behind how you started Click and Clear in the first place. And it starts with you buying your first property and then losing your job at Q Songs and early seeing an opportunity in the lawsuit between Sony Music and the cheerleading industry. And now finally, you find yourself in the unique position, merging your two passions, cheerleading and music. Yeah, you know, I always think the universe is a funny way of working. And at the time, I was kind of getting stuck in this comfortable life of I bought my first property, um, just a small apartment with my now ex-partner. Um, through the shared ownership scheme which was a great scheme for us at the time and, and then I got a dog and uh, about a month or so later I walk into uh, work one day and they're like yeah the company doesn't exist anymore it's gone into administration now of course Q songs um, got the assets got bought and have since been acquired by song trader um, and are doing great things and but at the time I was just I was devastated I absolutely loved that job and I just was like what do I do 
I've now got a mortgage, I've got a puppy, how am I going to sustain myself? And at the time, Synergy Sounds was picking up. And so I could say, okay, well, maybe I can continue to do that on the side, but I absolutely still need to get another job, even if it's part-time. So I started looking. Um, and in that first week of Q songs going into administration, the US governing body of cheerleading announced that they had new music rules because they had, had been sued by Sony, as had music producers and so on. And so I was like, well, this kind of, this makes sense. I, I, I could solve this problem. You know, I do cheerleading. Cheerleading just got sued. I understand music rights. I understand music production. I'm also an athlete, a coach. Um, I can put everything I know to create a solution. And especially being exposed to Q songs, they were a music, a pre-cleared music library for online video content. So it's taking the same concept and applying it to a totally different market with very different needs and very different rights. And that's kind of how I started the company. I looked into getting government-backed startup loan. I went through the process of speaking to rights holders uh, to see if they'd entertain the idea. And uh, the rest is kind of history. And you have accomplished astounding milestones since then, you know, and I'm very inspired and impressed. And let's dig into that then. And let's start with uh, music licensing. And today you have an impressively signed with over 720 record labels and publishers, including Sony, Warner, Universal Music Publishing Group, and BMG, and many more. Wow. You have around 4.1 million tracks and 10 million solid publishing rights in your internal database with 500 tracks fully cleared and live on your licensing platform. And me, I'm working closely with my colleague, Paul Sturch, the expert in music licensing laws that I call him. <laughs> and I know the efforts and challenges behind securing music rights. So firstly, tell our listeners how music licensing works in the performance sports space. And secondly, tell us your journey making deals with the mentioned record labels and publishers to clear a unique bundle of rights and implementing a licensing verification technology to enforce the licensing of music through the International Sports Federation. Yeah, so first, just to clarify, we've got five, about 500,000 tra tracks live on the platform and that is continuing to grow as we continue to match more. And of course, these numbers, by the time people listen to this podcast, will probably very, <laughs> be very much out of date. Um, but uh, just to touch on kind of music rights, a big part of what we do is education and music rights are complex. Copyright is one of the oldest forms of law. And uh, so updates over time have uh, been challenging so as a quick overview there are essentially two sides of music you've got the master rights typically held by record labels and then you have the publishing rights typically held by music publishers the master rights cover the recording of the music the publishing covers the written lyrics and melodies so the writers and intellectual property this intellectual property is owned by the authors of that work the people who wrote the music and then the people who sang on the song for example recorded it paid for the recording and in order to use music it requires a license 
Now, often rights are assigned to record labels and publishers and then sometimes collecting societies, especially for performing rights. But the rights that Click and Clear needs were not available through collecting societies. And the reason is because we required the adaptation rights, which typically requires approval from the copyright owners. So we had to go directly to record labels and publishers to clear these rights. There are also a few other rights outside of that. I won't get into too much detail. Um, all of that information is available on our education page. Um, but essentially, this market, they require over a billion specialist licenses each year. And if you were to use the traditional licensing model of case-by-case -case licensing, seeking approval on every single track, it's just not feasible. The athletes, the teams, they, for one, don't even understand music rights. Um, and for two, don't have the time or money to then clear those rights directly from the labels and publishers. And that's why we had to build a pre-cleared kind of licensing platform so we could open up a new revenue stream for the music industry, but really solve a very, very big challenging problem. And of course, the journey has been hard. It's never easy. I was a little naive in the beginning thinking, oh yeah, this is a, uh, this is, it's copyright law. So people have to do this. So regardless of how much music we have on the platform, they just have to do it. Of course, people infringe on copyright. Um, and so we had to make sure we had the music people wanted. And it has taken us years to get some of these deals in place. Um, and of course, because this has never been done before, there was no framework for it. We've had to create these deals from scratch with some record labels and publishers. Um, but kind of looking back on the last few years, um, especially even with the pandemic that kind of knocked us back a little bit, I have to say that I'm incredibly proud to have the support of the music industry and the record labels and publishers that we're working with and to have been able to secure licenses to their whole catalogs. It's, it's almost unheard of for startups. And we're, I also kind of realized the other day, you know, we really are bringing in new revenue. We started working with Color Guard and indoor skydiving. These people have never licensed music before. And it's really exciting to see that we're in the early beginnings of this new revenue stream. And I'm really excited to see the potential. I'm so impressed to listen to, to your story and very thankful for the music industry, music labels and publishers uh, to open the door and seeing the possibilities and knowing there's a challenge, but let's get it on and, and start you know, working on it. So what would you say are your best memories and the most challenging memories with dealing uh, with securing music rights one of my best memories and it was kind of in the early days of starting click and clear obviously q songs wasn't was no longer at that point in time and so i was building up click and clear and the idea and i knew i had to go and ask if record labels and publishers would even entertain this because if they wouldn't give me top 40 content there was literally no point in solving the problem and I went and had a meeting with uh, some people I knew at Warner Music and they said to me, we were more likely to give you top 40 content than we were Q songs because of what we were doing and the nature of what we were doing was just so different. And it was a more like non-commercial use, whereas Q songs was focusing on branded content and in sync, which is something they, they obviously do as well. And that really 
like spurred me on to to go ahead and just go for it and do it kind of trusting like yeah okay people are going to want to do this and we're going to get music that people want from the independent sector and from the majors and then I guess I'd say another highlight was uh when Sony uh emailed me to do a deal I remember reading the email I was like oh my goodness I can't believe they've just contacted us. They want to do a deal with us because normally it's us reaching out to labels and publishers to, to get these deals done. And in that case, they wanted to do a deal and they'd heard about us and were really interested in what we were doing. And, and so uh, we, we went ahead and, and got the deal done. In terms of my most challenging memories, it's really just some of the negotiations with the rights holders. I can't speak too much about it, but some of those deals have taken two and a half to three years and it is incredibly hard for a startup to be able to continue to fund a company whilst you're building something no one's ever done before and kind of waiting so long to get these deals done because that's two and a half three years of lost revenue um so that's probably the biggest challenge the patient <laughs> waiting for things to happen but also like okay so you secure the music license, but then the music license has to have a home, which is the technology. And I know from my own experience, building and running a tech company is that it's not easy. And especially the challenge is also to find the right people to help you build it from start, especially when you're a startup, to convince them to, to come on board and, and believing in this mission with that, I don't know, get, not getting paid, which is normally the case, but you have impressively built three unique integrated platforms that solve the solution for the entire sporting ecosystem. Amazing, congratulations, you know, hat off, <laughs> whatever you say, I'm very impressed. So tell us about your backend and your technology journey up to date. Yeah, thank you. So, um, I mean, we've, when I started the company, I didn't, I mean, I had a little bit of tech experience from Q songs. And actually when I was younger, I was interested in tech and I, at one point wanted to be a robotic engineer, but I had never really had much of an opportunity to do that. Um, though it is kind of intriguing me again. So who knows at some point in the future. Um, but I was always fascinated with tech as a kid. And when I, when I started Q songs, we initially were working with a third party licensing platform that kind of gave us the technology almost as a prototype, right? So I kind of had to start with a demo in order to get the money to then hire a developer. Had a bit of a challenging time in the beginning finding the right people on the team, but we have now got an incredible tech team and we've built all of these platforms really out of necessity and realizing there wasn't anything in the market that was affordable or did what we needed it to do. And so we knew we had to build everything in-house. And yeah, it, it is really challenging. I think we uh, created our licensing platform in six weeks, a very bare basic MVP of it to replace the third party. And we've had lots of kind of uh, challenging moments of crunch time and late nighters. And in fact, last night some of my team were up until past midnight but they really enjoy what they do and I think what's great about the culture we've built is um everyone's really working together to for the same goal um and so it's 
it's been a really wonderful experience and we've built these these three platforms a, a rights management database a licensing platform and our license verification tool which is going to be released uh this quarter amazing so on the platform you then offer official license music for sport mixes fitness and online events and you're working with multiple performance sports federations and fitness organizations world around. So for us to get more understanding of the platform and how it works, tell us how a client works with your platform and how they benefit from Click and Clear services to increase the value of music in their activities. We kind of have different audiences because there's different parts of the sporting ecosystem that need different rights. So the way that we work is we put B2B deals in place, usually with the international sporting federations who create the rules and guidelines for the sport. We provide them with education to help their teams understand what they need to do in terms of licensing music to accompany their routines. But of course, the federations or event organizers may then want to put their event online on a VOD or live streaming service, and they may well want to monetize that. And of course, with COVID, there was then this big uh, boom of virtual competitions happening. And so we also needed to ensure we had the online kind of live stream and VOD rights, which we've also secured. And we put those kind of deals in place with the federations. So we have teams licensing music, we've got event producers licensing music, and then we do these partnership deals where we provide education and provide our technology. We sometimes create click and clear subdomains specific for each sport, which only contains the music that's kind of suitable for them. Otherwise our main platform kind of covers all sports. It has such a huge variety. And as we get closer to a million tracks, I'm sure, and probably even beyond, there will be too much stuff for people to, too much music for people to really um, kind of go through. So kind of making that catalog, splitting that catalog up is, is beneficial. Um, but through our kind of integrated suite of technologies, we really solve their entire plat their entire problem. And we have the rights management database, which ingests and matches music and industry data. So DDEX, CWRs, and it pieces together the ownership of all of the music, bringing that together. So we only upload music that's cleared 100% on both sides. And that also takes into consideration different territory ownership. Um, so we only make music available in the countries that it's cleared 100% on both sides. And then our licensing platform, that's more focused for the teams who are licensing the music to accompany their routines. And that's a marketplace for them to instantly license the music that they want to uh, use in their routine. And it stores all the license details and create playlists and search the music and so on. And then finally, we've got our license verification system, which essentially is a content ID tool, but for private VOD services. So it's kind of taking the idea of what YouTube does on social media and what other companies do in the social media space, but actually really focusing it on fitness instructors, uh, sporting organizations who, who are filming their routines, which contain so much music. One large cheerleading competition, for example, over a weekend can use 8,000 pieces of music. And if they put all of that on their own online VOD service, there's no way rights holders are getting the performance income. And what even about the sync rights, you know? So that's what we identified was a problem that needed to be solved. And it helped our um, 
federations also enforce licensing so they can track whether or not a team has actually licensed the music in the first place so it's it's a really positive tool we just secured some innovate uk funding for it and uh, we will be launching it uh, this quarter wow impressive impressive and delivering official license music to performance sports is of course essential and um, my background what I started is at Soundtracker Brown, which was Spotify business, which was solving the same uh, challenges and innovation in the uh, B2B, like, um, like background music in restaurants and hotels. And I myself, uh, the expertise that I have is in store music uh, research and, and measuring the impact of it and really focusing on, as you said, 8,000 tracks, but how do you know which one actually fits? So it's not just about the licensing and just to have music. How do you choose the right music? So I wanna know from your experience and thoughts around how important the right choice of music during a sports activity is and how do you help the clients? Well, I might be a little bit biased, but I would say it's incredibly important. Uh, music is actually often considered uh, part of their overall performance on the score sheet. And so it impacts, it can impact how somebody scores or how they place in a competition. And also how the audience and even the judges perceive the routine on the floor, because music touches our emotions. It has an emotional impact. And at the end of the day, these sports are somewhat subjective. So if you kind of get the feels of the judges that might alter scoring just ever so slightly, but it's often those 0.5s or one points that you need to, to get to that first place. Um, but there's actually a study that we've referenced on, on our blog, on our website, um, about music being a performance enhancing drug. So it not only impacts the audience, but it can affect the way that athletes learn and memorize their routines. And for me personally, uh, I kind of, I find that music helps tell a story when I'm on the floor. So when I'm putting my routine together, it's really, what am I trying, what's my message for this season that I want to get out to people and what music can I find that helps me tell that story? Very, very impressive. Everybody knows that when you're in the gym and I'm the one, one of those that don't like the gym or training at all, uh, that, you know, putting on the music, it really keeps you going the last you know minutes that you, you normally would not be able to to handle but the music brings you there uh, very very impressive so what would you say makes click and clear services and catalog different from other music license providers out there well from what i understand there isn't a licensing provider that's really working in our market at all that's really solving this problem in the way that we are we don't really have any competitors there's possibly kind of one in one of our markets um but otherwise there is no direct competitor to click and clear um and in terms of other licensing platforms often they're dealing with very different rights so that's the clear difference there but also I haven't come across any licensing platform that actually has brought all of the tech in-house from a rights management database, a licensing platform, and a way to verify licenses and kind of tackle copyright infringement. Often some of those elements are outsourced. And so I'm just super proud of the team to have kind of built this, this 
technology that all works together and is solving a, a huge problem at a much larger scale. And to be able to do that, you do need investment to, you know, you have to, uh, things cost, uh, you have to pay, you know, the payrolls and so on. And when I read about you, Chantal, I would say, and a lot of people are saying you're a tough negotiator and a veteran when it comes to findings and securing uh, investment, especially in the creative industry, which I know is, is very challenging. So if you don't mind, tell us how much you've been able to secure so far and how did you go about it? Well, we've secured 670,000 uh, to date, though we are actually closing around right now for 400,000, which is imminent. Uh, so we will have raised over a million. And whilst I'm, I might come across as being a veteran and really know what I'm talking about when it comes to investment, I have only been able to secure a fraction of the amounts that my male counterparts have. And that is frustrating. It's even more challenging because of being in the creative industries and investors not really understanding that. But we actually worked with UK Business Angels Association, a trade body for uh, investors in the UK, to help educate uh, investors about investing in creative industries. And so it was actually Paul Pacifico from AIM gave me an introduction to them. And they ended up interviewing myself and my main angel investor, Dave, uh, as part of that creative toolkit that they created. But really, my first journey into investment was uh, bringing Dave on board. And I randomly met his uh, partner at a music industry event in Canada, told her about what I was doing. And she was fascinated and said, I might know someone who'd be interested in investing. And I wasn't ready at the time, but six months later, we kind of had some more conversations again. And I later met uh, David Walsh, who then invested in the company in May, 2018. And we've just gone through a number of rounds. I'm quite, um, I might have a different view when it comes to financials than other founders, especially um, working with, with some of these new investors that we're uh, bringing on board. They've definitely noticed that we do things in a different way. And I think we don't kind of overspend money and kind of dish it out here and there. We're very, very um, thoughtful in how we spend our money. And I don't like to I don't like to waste money. So we're very particular about what we spend things on. And I think we've we've been able to achieve a hell of a lot possibly the same or similar to companies that have been able to secure so much more funding than us, partly because we've had to, we still have to achieve, we still have to grow, but it's being a bit smarter about how we do that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been tough, but uh, each time we go through funding, it's just like my worst nightmare. I'd rather not have to do it, but um, it's been a really great learning experience and We've had a lot of interest in this last year from other people, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. We both know that there is a massive opportunity for growth in and around the creative industry, and especially in music. So tell us about the potential you see to, you know, for other investors that is listening uh, to this podcast and other entrepreneurs thinking about starting a music tech company. I think the createch industry, so creative technology, has huge potential for growth. So currently the creative industries contribute 
111.7 billion pounds GVA to the UK economy, which supersedes automotive, uh, aerospace, life sciences, and oil and gas industries combined. And with the creative industries typically being underfunded, imagine the growth that we could achieve with the appropriate funding. Investors should be jumping at this opportunity to be involved. I mean, they often involve, they often invest in oil and gas and life sciences and aerospace, yet the creative industry is outperforming them here in the UK. Um, and I think a large part of that is entertainment. Everyone consumes entertainment. Um, but when we look at music in particular, it is performing lower than its other entertainment peers. So film and gaming. There's actually about a $100 billion gap, monetization gap between those industries and music. And I think really we can, we can reduce that gap quite significantly by adopting more technology, finding new revenue streams, better facilitating licensing deals, and then getting that money back to the artists. So it's, it's an interesting space to watch. It's definitely much more interesting to be part of it. Um, and so I would strongly encourage investors to, to really take this industry seriously because we are kind of at the bottom of a very large upward curve. Why does the gap exist? Yeah, I would say uh, it's largely, obviously the 80s was great for music and then the digital era came, copyright infringement. And I think the music industry in some ways, hope this doesn't offend people, but I think in some ways we've been a victim of technology rather than really using it to our advantage. And I think it's the industry's learning how to now do that. And it's really just a question of time. Uh, we're getting more and more tech people into the industry, more and more tech people excited about the industry. Um, we've, we're getting more innovation in the industry than ever before. And so I think, and I think that was also largely thanks to the companies like Spotify and what TikTok's been able to achieve. Um, and so I think we are in that realization stage where we're going to see a lot of big change. I'm so looking forward to that. But with the success of Click and Clear so far from your side, and that you're continuous, you know, successfully growing, what would you see happening in the future? And what is your ambition around what would you like to achieve in like five to 10 years? I think the future is bright for music. And I do just see us generating a lot more revenue through these kind of different innovative revenue streams um, utilizing technology to open those up. My goal personally for Click and Clear is to continue identifying new untapped markets and really add value to the music industry whilst using innovative technology to help tackle copyright infringement. Copyright infringement exists almost everywhere, but I, and often people say, well, everyone's tried to solve this problem. And yeah, okay, yeah, a lot of people try to solve this problem, but that just means the right solution hasn't yet been found. The amount of times my cheerleading, that's, I think cheerleading really taught me this. I try and learn a stunt I fall down a million times before I then get it right. And we just haven't got it right yet. So I fully believe, and I strongly believe the technology that we've built so far um, and kind of taking that concept of rights management, licensing and verification, we can tackle copyright infringement in various markets and create a healthy licensing system that pays artists fairly and enables creators to legally uh, create what they're wanting to with music. 
You sound like me, like the mission of our lives. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Yeah. We, we just do it in a, two different ways. What, what would you then say are the three to five of the biggest music industry learnings you have learned so far? Perseverance is key. This is a tough industry. And as I mentioned earlier, deals can take a huge amount of time, significantly longer than you often anticipate. Uh, and actually longer than most other industries. So you really have to be patient and persevere. Uh, I guess the second learning would be that no one owes you anything. You can't be entitled in this space, especially when dealing with music rights. People, other people own those music rights, it's theirs. And whilst you can certainly persuade people to work with you and show them why that's beneficial, rights owners own the rights they have the final say at the end of the day and if they don't want to work with you they won't work with you and that doesn't mean you can just go and use the music you still need to seek permission and many people get that bit wrong uh, and then finally I would say that the music industry though it's getting better is a bit of a mess when it comes to rights management data and ownership so that's largely been down to the ways that ownership of music was tracked before. Often artists release music, but haven't actually agreed on the splits yet. And so people can't immediately license that music. And that is, those are not tech problems. Those are like legal problems, essentially. And so we need to do some work in terms of solving those. But also technology can help. Uh, in terms of keeping data clean. So moving away from spreadsheets and using technological solutions for tracking uh, ownership and changes of ownership. Because of course, bad data in is bad data out. And it's no wonder why we have such a huge black box of revenues. Then I want to know, looking back with the knowledge you have today, what would you have done differently in the innovation process of Click and Clear? I don't think I'd have really done anything differently. Uh, I, you know, this question gets asked all the time and at the end of the day I've made mistakes and they've taught me things that I may not have otherwise learned and whilst it's been a very challenging journey and maybe I could have made some better decisions I don't know if it would have still got me to where I am today you know you don't you don't know what you don't know and right now I just feel really proud of what we've achieved I guess the only one thing I would have changed would would be the pandemic <laughs> Uh, not having a pandemic would have been uh, great, but also it did create new opportunities, which we didn't have in the plan. So how about, if I can ask, did the pandemic affect you guys? So there was a greater shift to online competitions and that has helped our sports understand a bit more about music rights and the requirements of, of that. So it has helped us bring on some more sports uh, in in some ways and and also enabled us to expand into the online live stream and VOD rights for these sporting competitions. And you seeing it getting back to normal? I wouldn't say it's normal yet. We've been having conversations with sports all this week and what they've been saying is some events are still being cancelled, some are still virtual, there are a few in person. It's been the biggest challenge that they have ever experienced. Even we've got the Winter Olympics coming up and figure skating and getting ready for that. And it's all their time is is kind of drained on governance and policy around COVID and managing all the risk 
um, risk assessments and mitigation for it. And of course, what happens if an athlete on a team gets COVID and you need to then have a sub and it's, it's a really challenging time for them. So entire things that you've been explaining here already, you know, I feel so inspired and impressed and you have become a role model and in this inspiration and your recognition in the creative industry allows other women like myself and founders from diverse backgrounds to want to follow in your impressive footsteps. What are your tips for other female and diverse entrepreneurs that would like to get into the music industry, but also to succeed? Yeah, well, thank you very much for your kind words. Uh, Something I'd say as a tip is get comfortable being uncomfortable. There are more women now in in the music industry, especially in higher positions, but it is still a male-dominated industry. And that may make some women feel uncomfortable and, and it can sometimes lead to some difficult situations um I guess another tip would be to stay true to yourself and set your boundaries and stick with them what is next when it comes to innovation then for click and clear we are continuing to build on our license verification system as I said that's going to be released this quarter and for us it's about continuing to build on our technology we have got another platform we're building but I can't talk about it yet sorry um and we're basically just trying to streamline the entire process for the sports and for the sporting ecosystem and enable rights holders to get that revenue from it. In terms of uh, kind of going along further in the future, it's really identifying other revenue opportunities and figuring out how we can adapt our technology or create new technology to also solve those problems and getting where you are today you you do have to have a personality of a great leader uh, which i would say you have and in 2020 you were featured in the kindness and leadership 50 leading lights of uk Congratulations to that. Thank you. It was a bit and of a shock. <laughs> found three excellent and relevant questions that I would love to highlight here too. And let's get started. Number one, why is kindness essential for a leader in today's world? So the answer I had for that was we are living in very uncertain times with a lot of hate and negativity. We need to be inclusive of all listen to each other and have open and honest conversations about how to be and do better in order to improve our society. Kind leaders help inspire others to be more open-minded and challenge themselves, helping them grow and achieve their own ambitions. Number two, in your experience, how does kindness make business sense? Leading with kindness has helped me build a strong team bond and company culture, which I'm very proud of. By empowering my team and having open and honest conversations, we are achieving more and creating better solutions to the problems that we face. When people enjoy what they do, it doesn't feel like work. They are much more motivated to go above and beyond to achieve the company's goals because those goals have become part of their own. And number three, can you give us one example of kindness in leadership making a significant impact? Yeah, I strongly believe in treating others better than you would treat yourself. I think we're often our own worst enemy. I know I I deprive myself of sleep and occasionally forget to eat. And so I do believe we need to treat others better than we would ourselves. 
both of my, well, all of my developers, I only had two at that time, hence both, um, but all of my developers and actually the whole team, they work just as long as I do and they rarely take holiday. I have to force them to take holiday in some uh, situations so that they actually take a break. Um, and so against the company's interests, of course, I'm insisting that they take the time off to rest and recuperate. And as a result, their motivation has greatly increased because they know that they work with a company that cares. Very impressive. It really shows that, you know, you don't have to be that evil backstabbing, uh, horrible leader to, to succeed that I really, when I read this, I felt, yay, you know, the world is changing and it's all about, you know, kindness, being emotional, but still very passionate, um, mission driven can still get you there. And it's a, it's a more sustainable way of doing it. And it's not just about changing things um, in the tech and money and earning. It's all about, you know, um, touching the people you work with, making sure that they feel well um, along the journey also so it's not about stabbing and and getting what you want and not caring about people yeah. so I, I found that very very beautiful so thank you for for sharing that so last but not least you're still an active athlete and an advocate for parachair which was the disability inclusive cheerleading what is your motivation vision and passion behind your contribution so I was on, as we talked about earlier, I was on the Team England Parachair team in 2017, which was the first inclusive team consisting of disabled and non-disabled athletes. And I fell in love with the mission and later the founder of the sport. And whilst being on the team, it really opened up my eyes to experiences um, that people have that I never realized people were experiencing. And unfortunately, it opened my eyes to discrimination I'd never seen before. And I get really upset when I see something isn't fair and I'm always ready to fight that battle. That's where my, uh, yeah, the, the kind of tough, tough side of me comes out. You don't want to mess with that, with that once uh, <laughs> we're on that side. I am uh, very strong at writing complaints. Um, and after competing, I started training with my now partner, Rick Rogers, and uh, we started achieving skills that he never thought was possible he's a wheelchair user and he basically throws me up in the air on his own we do something called partner stunt and we have as i said achieved incredible skills even i didn't think was possible and we took that around the world to show and inspire others to start their own team and i guess the drive for that was i, I really wanted other people to learn and experience the joy that i had working with disabled athletes but I also wanted non-disabled people to understand that disability isn't scary and it's not something to be worried about. And yes, you might say something wrong and get something wrong, but it's all part of the learning process. I've been absolutely, I'm just in admiration of, of my partner for what he's gone through in his uh, journey and how he's still here today, smiling and happy and just getting on as everyone else, as everyone else does. And of course, I love cheerleading and I wanted to spread the joy of cheerleading to disabled people um, who maybe thought that it wasn't possible for them to participate. And I think by being fully inclusive, we create a much better supportive society. And that's something I haven't seen much of in recent years. And I think partly down to bad leadership around the world. 
um for Paracheer and for um, our charity Paracheer International our vision is to get the sport into the Paralympics and that work is already underway but it takes a very long time cheerleading just got recognized by the Olympics and that took them a uh, probably more than a decade, uh, quite a bit more than a decade, but that does help us in, in that journey. And in order for us to achieve this, we need to start more grassroots teams. So teams at kind of your local level, and then also help national federations start the teams to go to the world championships. And that's what we were doing before the pandemic. I was traveling all around the world, also for Click and Clear, but um, helping grow the sport. And we now have roughly 50 teams in 17 countries that I know of so far. The pandemic has meant we haven't been able to travel the world, but we have still run online workshops and reached other countries like Slovenia, hopefully going to start working with Botswana soon. And so we're really reaching uh, a lot of different people. Wow, 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 wow. I don't know how many wows um, I'm, I'm gonna say in this, uh, in this podcast, but wow. And this really, you know, inspires me and I definitely hope inspires a lot of investors out there, but also passionate people like myself that would love to get involved and be a part of your team. So how can people reach out to you if they want to connect and get involved? I'm not afraid to give my email out to anyone. I never hide my contact details because I believe opportunities can come your way in all shapes and sizes and I love being open to opportunity uh, so you can email me uh, at chantal at clickandclear.com that's c-h-a-n-t-a-l at clickandclear with an n dot com and you can also find me on LinkedIn with my name Chantal Epp I'm probably the only one on there with that name thank you very much it's been such a pleasure for me to be able to tell your story uh, and your journey so far and again it's been very inspiring I can't wait to see what more comes and thank you very much well thank you very much Jasmine for having me here today it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you well that's all for today's episode of the power of audio science and AI I'm Jasmine Moradi your host and thank you very much for listening don't forget to subscribe and support by sharing this content on your social media this episode is supported by Stockholm Music City.